In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. I'd like to speak to you this morning about the joy of the Lord, about your relationship with God and mine. And in order to do that, uh, let's look together, if, you're, if you'd like to, at the epistle once again on page 193. This epistle gives us a window into the early church. It's like the curtain has been drawn back. And if we look at this carefully, we can see some things that aren't always uh, clear. It's written by St. Peter. It's his first epistle. It's written to the church at large, the church in general, not to a specific congregation. He calls them beloved, dearly beloved. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Let your conduct among your neighbors, among the Gentiles, with whom you live, let your conduct be honorable. That whereas, pay, let's pay attention to this line, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free men and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. It's believed that that epistle was written about 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead. The Roman Empire was, of course, ruling the world, and the early Christians were vulnerable to all kinds of false accusations. They were different, and people noticed. One commentator actually called them social misfits. Their neighbors wondered why they did not participate in the idol worship and carousing of the day. And as the church grew in number, you can imagine that suspicion of these different social misfits <clears throat> increased. It increased to the point where they re were regarded not only as unsocial, but as antisocial and as a, men a menace 
to Roman culture and society. St. Peter says that we've just read that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, that's how they were looked upon. In fact, the Christians were accused of being atheists since they did not use idols or images in their worship of God. And because they gathered to receive the body and blood of the Son of God in the Holy Eucharist, they were accused of even being cannibals. And because they would not offer sacrifice to the Roman Emperor, they were accused of being disloyal citizens. That's the background of today's epistle. And hopefully it gives a little better understanding of why St. Peter called them strangers and pilgrims. And it may also help to understand, as has just been pointed out, what Peter meant when he said, let your conduct among the Gentiles be honorable, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Even though that epistle was written almost 2,000 years ago, it presents, it presents us with relevant instruction on the Christian life, on the new life, the new life that you received in your baptism through the risen Lord Jesus by his Holy Spirit who's come to dwell in you. These are, there are instructions in this, in this epistle about how to live the new life that we received in baptism by God's grace. First of all, we underline the word pilgrim because we are to be pilgrims as well. The Greek word for pilgrim means temporary resident. We know that this world is not our finally, final destination. Our true home is in heaven. So we are here for a short time, not forever. We're passing through. Let's also underline the word stranger because there's a lesson there for us as well. The Greek word puts a finer point on what pilgrim says. Stranger means someone without rights or legal status. So we are strangers and pilgrims. Uh, this is not our final destination. We are on a journey with the Good Shepherd. And yet, even though we have no particular, we may feel that we have no rights or legal status, we do, but the church is different. We are called to be different. We do have responsibilities and, and we are accountable. We're accountable to God and to every ordinance of man, as St. Peter says. <coughs> that is translated maybe more exactly to be to every divine institution among us. Peter gave examples of what he meant by every ordinance of man, to the king as supreme or unto governors, 
So the thing is, generally speaking, that governments promote law and order. And as St. Paul told the church in Rome, the authorities that exist have been established by God. So three uh, relevant pieces of information or instruction for us so far. We are like pilgrims, we're passing through. We are in a certain way like strangers. Strangers in this sense meant people without legal rights or status. We have those as Canadian citizens, but nevertheless, we are, in a, we are strangers in a secular culture. And thirdly, in spite of that, we are to be accountable, as Peter says, to every ordinance of man. What the Lord wants us to know is that in this instruction to be uh, accountable to every ordinance of man, we have good deeds to perform that will glorify him. With well-doing, as St. Peter says, we can silence the opposition that is around us. We can impact the hearts of those who are hard-headed or unwilling to accept the gospel truth. St. Peter referred to the ignorance of foolish men. Literally, this means those without reason, those who are senseless. Even though their minds were prejudiced and their hearts were hard against the church, good works done in the name of Christ would have an impact on them. That's what Peter was saying. And we know that he's right, that he was right, because he was basically repeating the message that Jesus himself told his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. We're very familiar with this word. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He also said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. St. Paul gave a similar word. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So instead of seeking revenge, the early church, and we as well, are being instructed to a different way, to a heavenly way. Don't try to fix it according to a revengeful or power uh, play against those who are persecuting you, Peter was saying, do good to them. With well-doing, you will silence the ignorance of foolish men. One of the ways that the first century Christians overcame evil with good was by caring for their sick neighbors. Especially in times of plagues and pestilence. The word pandemic was not really used back then. It was plague or pestilence. For example, in the year 65 AD, an autumn plague in Rome killed 30,000 people. Just 14 years later, another round of pestilence accounted for the deaths of, get this, 
10,000 people daily. Rodney Stark, a sociologist and historian, mounted a powerful argument that one of the principal reasons Christianity grew while Roman paganism waned in the first four centuries was because of the mercy that Christians displayed toward people who physically suffered. Let's think about that for a second. In the first 400 years, the first uh, 400 years, Christianity, when it should have been, when it should have been petering out, was growing. And while the Roman Empire, before Constantine and before the Christian religion, before he declared the Christian religion to be an official religion of the empire in the year 313, before that, you would think that the Roman pagan gods, that Roman paganism would have been growing. But in fact, the opposite was happening. And, and this particular sociologist and historian is saying that it was because of the mercy the Christians were showing to their neighbors. In all of that mercy showing, in all that mercifulness, we know there was the grace of God. The Holy Spirit was at work. Jesus was at work building his church. Empowering his people, inspiring his people to do good even in the midst of persecution. What went on during the epidemics of that time was simply an intensification of what went on every day amongst the Christians. In fact, the impact of Christian mercy became so evident in the fourth century that the Emperor Julian, when he was attempting to build up the pagan religions, told the pagan priests to get with it and compete with the Christian charities. Be more like those Christians, he told the pagan priests. In a letter to the high priest of Galatia, Julian the emperor urged the distribution of grain and wine to the poor, noting that, quote, the impious Galileans, that was his word for Christians, those impious Galileans, in addition to their own people, are supporting ours, and it's shameful that our poor should be wanting our aid. But not much happened. There was little or no response to the emperor's proposals, because there were no doctrines and no traditional practices for the pagan priests to build upon. They didn't have it in their religions. That model of mercy, of reaching out beyond their own inner circles. Christians believed in the life everlasting. Christians believed in the Lord Jesus Christ the Son of God who gave himself completely upon the cross as the full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. They had the model of mercy in Christ. At most, pagans believed 
in an unattractive existence in the underworld. I wonder if that's really any different from those who don't believe in Christ today. We have a lot of social service agencies. There is a certain model of paying it forward, but that model can also build up the pride that I have in myself or in my organization by how much good I do. This mercy that was happening in the first four centuries was a pure outflow of sacrificial love for the glory of God. That's in our DNA as Christians. This is where this morning's gospel comes in. The early Christians endured persecution and shame and insult and yet were still <laughs> compassionate and merciful because of their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed, regardless of what was happening around them, that as their good shepherd, he was with them and dwelt in them by his spirit. They believed that he'd gone to prepare a place for them in heaven and that he would return to take them to be with him, just like he'd promised. So by faith in him, they lived differently. Because of their relationship with Jesus, they lived like strangers and pilgrims with a certain detachment from the world and the ways of the world. They belong to him. This whole thing about identity is key, and it's becoming uh, a thing, an important thing, as the pandemic goes on. As people get tired and wrestle with their mental health, one of the key things in our welfare both physically and spiritually, emotionally and mentally, is knowing that we belong, that we have an unconditional acceptance in our families, and more importantly, with the Lord. It is probable, think about this, that the Lord's words in today's gospel were known to those first century Christians Perhaps they weren't written down yet, but they were very much known because, listen to what he says, you now have sorrow, speaking to his disciples before he's crucified, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. After Jesus' death, they had sorrow. Then his resurrection, they had joy. After his ascension, they had sorrow. The coming of the Holy Spirit, they were filled with joy. The disciples would experience deep sorrow and doubt and fear, but one day when they saw him again, their sadness would be changed into joy. The joy Jesus speaks of is a heavenly joy that comes from knowing Christ and trusting that he did truly rise from the dead. 
To know Jesus in this way is to believe that he loves me and that he's with me and that he will never leave me or forsake me. When this happens, when we open our hearts to this possibility, to the possibility of this love and this relationship, then a friendship develops. A friendship because there is a bond of love and of trust. We trust that in Christ, God has conquered all the forces of death and darkness. This was the thing for those early Christians, regardless of what was happening around them and persecution that ramped up in the Colosseum and especially under Nero, the emperor, there was this confidence in the presence and power of God through Christ. We believe that the Lord wants to bring us healing and wholeness and eternal life. We believe that in him we have a belonging that cannot be changed or taken away. So we live with hope. We live with joy no matter, no matter what. And the thing is, this kind of joy is contagious. We want to share it. We want others to experience it. Freely, freely we have received and freely we want to give. So it was with the early church. In loving service, those first century Christians offered themselves, their souls and bodies to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice to God with joy. They went about doing good, serving their neighbors, wiping foreheads, lifting up backs and necks to take a sip of water, washing clothes, taking care of their neighbor's kids, making meals and delivering them, all because they knew that Jesus the Good Shepherd was with them. The Christian religion is all about faith in Christ. Every week, that's what we say. I believe. Not I can see. Not I can touch. But I believe. By faith, our minds and hearts are opened to invisible realities and possibilities that otherwise cannot be understood. One such reality is the love of God in Christ and a personal relationship with him. In knowing him, there is joy and purpose. There is confidence and peace which no one can take away. As strangers and pilgrims, may our conduct, as this pandemic continues, May our conduct among our neighbors be honorable, that by our good works they may glorify God. And now unto God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, be ascribed all might, majesty, dominion, power, honor, and glory, as is most justly due, henceforth and forevermore. Amen. Amen.